Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. My name is Maurice Merritt. Well, I think season one is off to a great start, and I want to thank you for listening. Do me a favor. Find that little share button on whatever podcast app you're using. Yeah, that's the one. Now tap it and send the podcast to a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, do it now. As always, if you have questions, comments, show ideas, whatever, you can email me at horsepowerheritage at gmail.com. And one more thing. Don't forget, the show has a YouTube channel. You'll see all my interview episodes right there. Okay. So on episode one of the podcast, I told you about many of the discoveries and inventions that led either directly or indirectly to the first automobile, which is generally recognized as the Benz patent motor car. But today I'm going to tell you the story of what might have been. It's a tale of missed opportunity and unfulfilled potential. And if it weren't for the eccentricities of an inventor you've probably never heard of, the automobile might well have become a common sight at least a decade earlier than it did. But what if I also told you there was a calculated effort to erase this man's achievements from history. Because that's exactly what happened, as you'll see. Our story begins in 1843, in a town called Malschen, which is in northwestern Germany, not far from the Baltic Sea. In 1843, this area was called the Grand Duchy of Mecklenburg-Schwerin. The territory was an independent state created after the final defeat of Napoleon Bonaparte at Waterloo in 1815. Europe had been embroiled in warfare for 23 years, and what emerged in the wake of Napoleon's defeat was a realignment of powers. In Central Europe, there was a German confederation made up of the Kingdom of Prussia and the Austrian Empire. And then to the east, the Russian Empire. And then to the west, the United Kingdom. This ever-changing geopolitical map might sound obscure, but our story hinges on that sort of intrigue. So, in this town of Malschen, in 1843, a 12-year-old boy became a machinist's apprentice. His name was Siegfried Marcus. His father was a craftsman and a merchant and was able to afford more advanced schooling for his son, which at that time would have meant reading, writing, mathematics, and some technical study. Now just imagine as a 12-year-old boy, you're working in a machine shop. It's 1843. That would have been incredibly hazardous work, even for a grown man. You'd be lucky to go home every day with all of your fingers intact. But Marcus did well in the machine shop. In fact, he had been obsessed with science and invention all his life. As a teenager, he experimented with electricity and chemistry. He once did dental surgery on himself, and then afterwards, when he developed an abscess, he treated it on his own. By the age of 17, Marcus got a job with Siemens. Now today, Siemens is a multinational $87 billion conglomerate. But in 1848, when Siegfried Marcus was hired, the company was less than a year old, and their first line of business was a new technology, the telegraph. During his time at Siemens, Marcus invented an electrical relay system for telegraph lines. Certainly, he could have continued to do well at the company, but when he was 20, he decided to seek his fortunes in Vienna. 
Now, Vienna in the 1840s was the place to be. As the capital of the Austrian Empire, it was a major center of European power, culture, and innovation. Siegfried Marcus kicked around, employed in various jobs, but always as a student of technology. Whether it was at the Royal Chemical Laboratory or as the emperor's court mechanic, he was always learning new lessons and applying them. Over the course of his life, he held 158 patents. For example, he refined gas lamp technology. Another example, he invented a plunger detonator for explosives. So remember all those old cartoons where Wiley E. Coyote pushes down on the T-handle plunger box to blow the roadrunner to smithereens? Yeah, one of those, he invented that. And at one time in history, the invention of the Magneto was attributed to Siegfried Marcus, not Robert Bosch. These inventions provided Marcus the capital he would need to follow his own pursuits, as you'll see. So in 1860, he set up a laboratory of his own, right there in Vienna. One of his early efforts was experimenting with electric lighting. By the way, Thomas Edison was only 13 years old at the time, and light bulbs had already been invented, but they were neither economical nor reliable. Siegfried Marcus thought he might use benzene to produce more efficient lighting. After all, benzene was a clean-burning, efficient fuel, and it had become plentiful in the early years of the petroleum industry. Of course, we all recognize this as a bad idea today, and Marcus's benzene light bulb exploded. He abandoned the experiment, but not before realizing that benzene might push a piston much better than steam. And that's where the seed of Marcus's claim to fame began to grow. By 1865, he'd constructed a cart with a two-stroke engine. The engine was mounted vertically at the rear of the cart, and it was at least two meters high. The engine was direct drive to the rear wheels, and it had no clutch, which means it had to be started with the rear wheels off the ground. So what you would do is spin the wheels by hand to start the engine, then lower them to the ground, and the cart would take off like a friction toy. And by the way, there were no brakes. Marcus knew it was a totally impractical thing at that point, and characteristically, he set aside his experiment in a self-propelled vehicle, wandering into other pursuits. His whole life, in fact, he would make breakthroughs, and when the pursuit of discovery had suited him enough, he would move on. For some time after his powered cart was abandoned, Marcus worked for the royal court as a tutor, and he even installed the palace's electrical bell system for summoning servants. Later on, though, Siegfried Marcus would build what some consider to be the world's first automobile. He created not one, but three examples of a much-refined internal combustion car, all with a one-cylinder engine, and one of these was a four-stroke engine, possibly predating Nicholas Otto's design. Marcus called it the Straßenwagen, or streetcar. Marcus used a magneto for ignition and a carburetor for fuel delivery. And the engine was a one-speed affair. This time, it had a cone-type steel clutch so that the engine could be decoupled from the drive wheels. It even had a steering wheel and not a tiller. In fact, if you were to put bodywork on the Marcus car, it wouldn't be too different from many early brass-era cars. And in fact, it looks very close to Carl Benz's 1898 Benz four-wheel motor carriage. But here's the kicker. Some sources will tell you this car was built in 1874. That's a full 11 years before Carl Benz's patent motor car. 
Other sources will tell you, no, no, it's an 1888 invention. But there's some confusion there, too, because while there were Marcus cars built as late as 1888, those may simply have been a later construction of the design done in cooperation with a firm in Prague. We can confirm that the company in Prague did cooperate with Marcus to build them. A 20th century twist of fate may help explain the murkiness of the exact date, but more on that later. Whenever it was built, 1874, 1888, apparently Siegfried Marcus just gave up on his motor car. In the 1880s, he was a fixture in technical circles in Vienna and at industrial exhibitions. But in 1898, he died in poverty, probably from tuberculosis or another 19th century ravage that we hear nothing about today. He was 67 years old. Now, I'd be willing to bet that you've never heard of Siegfried Marcus until now. But given all his achievements, why is that? Well, remember all those dusty geopolitical details I mentioned earlier? The kind of things that sort of make your eyes glaze over in school? Well, here's why they're important. In 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. Hitler was born in Austria, and he envisioned a unified German superstate that would include Austria. Now, this ambition predated Hitler. It went back at least as far as the 1870s, when Imperial Germany was established. But Austria had been excluded from that bargain. And in the decades that followed, Germany grew more powerful in every way. Its defeat in World War I, and then the miscalculations of the Treaty of Versailles, and then the Great Depression, crippled the country. And all of this certainly embittered Hitler, who dreamed of a glorious and mighty future for a unified Germany and Austria. He had a fantastic, mythical, and crazy vision for it all. So on March 12, 1938, the Nazis marched in and annexed Austria, and they brought their ideology with them. And the achievements of Siegfried Marcus were incompatible with that ideology because, you see, Siegfried Marcus had been a Jew. A directive from the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, dated July 4th, 1940, instructed that all relevant publications should cite Gottlieb Daimler and Karl Benz, not Siegfried Marcus, as the inventors of the automobile. Keep in mind that in the early 20th century, Siegfried Marcus had been duly recognized for his accomplishments. He'd been celebrated in Vienna, and school children were taught that he was the inventor of the motor car. But the Nazis had also ordered destruction of all documents related to Marcus's work, as well as any physical artifacts, including the surviving Marcus car, which was held by the Viennese Automobile Club. You see, it was not enough to exterminate the Jews. Their memory was to be wiped from the earth. Luckily, the Marcus car had been safely hidden away, and it survives today thanks to some brave Austrians who were determined that history would not be erased. As for the murky details surrounding the exact year the Marcus car was built, 
and successfully run? Was it 1874, 1888? Well, we may never know the exact answer because the Nazis did succeed in destroying many records of Marcus's work. In the years after the war, Siegfried Marcus was again recognized, but some sources seem to have equivocated the precise timeline. Perhaps because it's easier to let all these ghosts go undisturbed. All of this is unfair to Siegfried Marcus, but also to Gottlieb Daimler and Carl Benz, who are certainly entitled to their own achievements. Now it could be said that Carl Benz has rightful claim to the title inventor of the automobile. After all, he held the first patent and he produced a reliable commercial product. But I thought you should know that Siegfried Marcus had been there too. His surviving car is on display at the Technical Museum for Industry and Trade in Vienna. I'll put some links in the show notes so you can see it for yourself. I think you'll agree that no matter what year it was built, it's a great achievement and that the man ought to be remembered. That does it for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. Subscribe to the show, click that five-star rating, and leave me a review. All of those things will help me reach more gearheads like you. Until next time, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.